Hey friends and fellow geekologists, you're getting ready to hear one of the panels we hosted at Theology Beer Camp last October in Missouri. A huge thank you to Trip Fuller and Homebrew Christianity and the Venues Church for hosting us and allowing us to be a part of the zest. We had so much fun and it was so meaningful to be at the intersection of philosophy, theology, and pop culture with some amazing experts in those fields of discipline. We do have the dates for Theology Beer Camp 2024. It will be October 17th through 19th in Denver, Colorado. And this year, the title for Beer Camp is going to be The Return of the God Pods. You can follow God Pods 2024 on social media with any updates uh, that they um, share with us. And tickets are on sale now. And so we hope to see you there in October. Normally on the show, we attempt to keep things as child-friendly as possible, but every now and then we can hit some harder subject matters or may even have some verbal discourses that may not be suitable for younger or more sensitive ears to hear. In this episode, there may be either a discussion on more mature topics or may have strong language or perhaps both at once. Your discretion is advised. Hi, everybody. Thanks for coming to this, the coolest breakout session of all of them. (laughs) How many of you like Star Trek at all. Okay, okay. We'll let you in, because I know you're, you're a good person. And Doctor Who fans in the house? Okay, okay, cool, cool. Okay, well, we're gonna hear first from Dr. James McGrath, uh, who is actually a very serious New Testament scholar. Very, you can tell how serious he is. <laughs> and he's gonna talk a little bit about Star Trek and Doctor Who uh, in ways that we will We'll blow our minds, and then we're going to have a conversation. So enjoy. Welcome him. Yeah. Well, so thank you all for being here. Uh, Let's see if we can get this microphone set up so that I'm heard and everything's working. So who's thinking you came for a session about Star Trek and Doctor Who, and something's like just not out of, something's out of balance, right? I don't have a blue box, but it is bigger. It is bigger on the inside than on the outside, and so. so. I may be like Trip Fuller saying, "Okay, I'm sweating at this. This is going to go um, by the wayside." But normally, when I give talks on this subject, I usually include like video clips and things like that for people who haven't seen the episodes. Here, where they have these multiple stages, if you came to this. You know the episodes, right? <laughs> now, I didn't intend to have a screen with some like geeky inside jokes and random attempts at humor and things like that. Completely unnecessary. And they actually repurposed the TV from in here for that wonderful drawing of you know the artwork and sketching and you know stuff that's happening. I was like, keep it there. It's like I have nothing that's going to you know be worth moving it in here. So, can you tell I'm a fan? Uh, like, <laughs> yeah. So this is surprisingly inexpensive to get, you know, Starfleet uniform on, you know, Amazon or eBay. This my wife made for me. I she she knits and I told her for a really long time and it took persuading her that oh, you mean you'll actually wear that like not just to events but like you know it's like yeah, so in the winter I'm on campus and you know I usually wrap it around at least one extra time because, you know, Tom Baker's is longer because he is longer, um, but mine is long enough so it still reaches the floor, but it, you know, on him it would probably just not look right. So my fandom goes way back, right? I'm a New Testament scholar, uh, that's my field, but I've 
been you know, just really privileged uh, to teach at a place, uh, Butler University in Indianapolis, it's mostly undergraduate, small religious studies program. We're encouraged to branch out and teach on other subjects besides our main research area. And religion and science fiction started out as something I just dabbled in, but you're probably aware it's just taken off as an area that people are writing books about and talking about. And you know, it's, it's a wonderful time to be a fan who does these two things. Star Trek for me goes as far back as I can remember. If you're not already connect with me on Facebook, connect with me there. There is definitely a how it started and how it's going picture with me as a child in a Star Trek shirt and me as an adult in a Star Trek shirt. And there's definitely some continuity there. Doctor Who came along later, probably for many of us, you know, British television, unless you grew up in the UK, it took some random skipping through channels and getting, ending up on PBS, right? And then it's like, yeah. And I still remember we're on like a family holiday, you know, end of the day, it's dark out, nothing else really to do. So you're in the hotel room and you put on the TV and we're flipping through and there's some kind of weird thing. They keep getting in this box. I'm not sure exactly what's going on. Uh, it was a Peter Davidson episode. Uh, so it's from that era. And then, of course, it ends on a cliffhanger, as they did, right? It was in these parts. You know, you didn't have, like, one episode that sort of stood alone. And I was, I think, as a child, really rather distraught that I was not going to be there to see the next episode. But I made a point of tracking this down. And then was a little bit confused that it's like, where's that guy that, you know, Peter Davison guy? You know, it's like, because there's John Pertway or Tom Baker and other people. But I got into Doctor Who in the classic era, how many of you are classic era Doctor Who fans? How many of you, yeah, um, not necessarily going all the way back to William Hartnell, but at least like, at least Tom Baker, you know, yeah. everyone, so okay, yeah, okay. How many of you started with Christopher Eccleston or somebody more recently? Yeah, so my term for you folks is um, Whovian Marcionites. <laughs> and this is probably the only place where I can, you know, make that joke and people will actually laugh at it. But yeah, there are lots of points where we can make analogies, we can have discussions across you know, fandom and either Christian faith or the Bible, canon in the realm of fandom and canon in the realm of Bible, and even things like, do you need to know all those earlier stories in order, in order to understand these later ones, right? I mean, certainly you get some misinterpretation of the New Testament and of Christianity by those who don't know the earlier stories, and it's interesting, there's actually a Doctor Who episode where we see precisely that in an interesting way, but I'll get to that a little later. So what is it that attracts us to these two franchises? Clearly, for Doctor Who, if you were watching it back in the 60s or 70s, it was the cutting-edge special effects, right? <laughs> and for those who didn't know them, I had a picture up here, you know, ready to go, right? So that those who had never watched episodes from that era could say, you know, that alien fungus sure looks like spray-painted bubble wrap, right? Which it was, right? The budget for a season of Doctor Who, back when it started, was about the same as for one episode of Star Trek. So, not too surprised. But the stories were good, right? But sometimes they were low budget. I see somebody at the door, and I just want to make sure. Yeah, you are welcome, right? Always, yeah. This place is bigger on the inside. Come on in. And... The other photo that I had over here, we don't need it because if you look right back there, do you see that dinosaur up there? If you remember episodes from the John Pertway era, you remember a dinosaur that looked just like that. 
claymation on the screen. Yeah. So they the recent episodes, you know, are fascinating by comparison, a much bigger budget. Why compare these two shows? It's not just, you know, look what a bit of additional funding can do for your special effects. These are two of the longest running franchises in science fiction history, right? In terms of television. Close to it's gonna be 60 years this year for Doctor Who. Star Trek is not far behind. And when they told me how long I had to speak, I was like, okay, let's see. So collectively, about 120 years of television, 15 minutes. Yeah, I could just you know, start listing every episode and I wouldn't get through all of them before my time ran out. But I'm gonna jump around a bit, obviously. We'll do some wibbly wobbly timey-wimey stuff between them. We'll go back and forth between the franchises. But one reason why I like talking about these two together is that they cover sort of the same time period in science fiction fandom, but one of them is perceived as being you know, very much you know, a, a secular vision of the future. And the other one doesn't seem to have a stance you know, and sort of is you know, not often thought of in those terms. And one of them, a lot of people think of it as hard science fiction. And the other one they think of, it's like, come on, it's basically fantasy. Could be, you know, you could have, instead of a sonic screwdriver, you could have a magic wand. Instead of a, a TARDIS, it could be a magical box and you could tell the same stories. And there's some truth in that. My problem is with the first assumption, right? I mean, when Scotty goes energized, you know, they're basically apparating, right? For those of you who know that term, right? It's basically magic. It's basically because they couldn't afford to film a shuttle landing every episode. And so they said, you know, we got to get some cheaper way to do it. We'll just make them go like, you know, and shimmer. And then it's, yeah. Is that likely to be real world science? You know, is it based in science? No. And it's interesting because people shape their worldview, not just in relation to you know, science and things like that, but also in relation to religion with shows like that. And although Doctor Who is probably less, I mean, certainly in its classic era, it was also very much the, yeah, it's not magic, it's science, that kind of thing. But I saw this cartoon, and I would have had it up here for you at some point, uh, but it, you, you don't need to see it. It was basically inside a tomb, you can guess which tomb, and the caption was, the resurrection scientifically explained, and then the TARDIS appears and says, hey, you wanna come with me? It's like, sure. And so it's like, you know, and, what I think is really funny about that, first of all, is that anybody thought it was you know, worth their time to make this cartoon. <laughs> but then that having the TARDIS come and whisk Jesus off is scientifically explained. Right? And often when we got to those moments in the show, whether it's Star Trek or Doctor Who, but particularly Star Trek, I'm aware that when it came to the script writing, often it would be like, you know, Captain, there's a problem with the, and then the script would just say tech. And then they'd ask somebody to, it's like, okay, stick the word quantum in there and a few other you know, bits of um, scientific sounding jargon. And, we'll, and so often science fiction has the veneer of science, but often it's retelling some of the same kinds of stories we've always told. And sometimes it's exactly the same stories, right? For a while I had classicists in my department, right? So the ones who study the Greco-Roman myths, none of them takes the existence of Apollo as literally as the episode Who Mourns for Adonis, right? <laughs> and so looking at these two shows, I think gives us a chance to look at how culture tackles matters of religion, what it does with them. But there's also some profundity to them. And I was so glad that in the last session here, if you missed it just very briefly said, 
looking for Christ figures in sci-fi and other things is a very superficial level of analysis, right? And what I want to do is get beyond that because these shows actually had commentary that reflects a theological perspective. Wasn't always aware of it, but how many people, you know, think they're doing theology, you know, if they, unless they actually study theology and do it in some professional capacity. The first pilot for Star Trek, things didn't go so well, right? They eventually re revived that. And if you've been watching recently and watching Strange New Worlds, I think that's got to be, you know, there's this episode where it's got to be the longest ever in television history between an episode and then an, a later episode starting previously on, right? It's like decades, you know, it's like going all the way back there. You know, if you missed that, that is, you know, and you were a fan of the, the old episodes, just watch that one. They then went to where no man has gone before, the Enterprise crossing the galactic barrier, and these crew members with this psi ability, right, PSI ability, which again, it's like science, start developing into you know, basically godlike beings. And right there in that episode, didn't end up being the first one to air, but it was basically the second pilot for the show. You've got Kirk saying, you know, did you hear Mitchell laughing about compassion? Of all else, a god needs compassion. So Captain Kirk is talking theology right there from the beginning of this supposedly secular show. There's no chaplain on the Enterprise, right? Eventually they get Guinan, right? And it's fascinating to think, you know, is that the equivalent of having a chaplain, a bartender, you know, but a very special bartender, but still, right? Yeah. But when I've thought about it, you know, you can't really get every single possible faith represented, right? Think how many crew members you'd have to have for all the, you know, just all the chaplains, right, to serve all these things. So what they clearly need is an emergency clerical hologram, right? <laughs> right, who just appears and says, please state the nature of your spiritual emergency or something like that, right? <laughs> the show had theology in it from the beginning. Of course, later on, we have Star Trek V. They go looking for God, find this being. And what does Kirk say there famously? Right, right. So we've got Captain Kirk's theology there, right? If we trace the two. A god needs compassion, but not a starship. There we go. Captain Kirk's theology in a nutshell. Why? What theological system, what theological assumptions actually say that a god can't need a starship or that a god needs compassion? Yeah. In the history of just human religion, there have been some gods that they certainly haven't always been compassionate. They haven't always consistently been so. Right? And so one of the things I love about that treatment of religion and of theology on Star Trek is that it really brings into focus in a helpful way the difference between what we often refer to as a God and God with a capital G, right? Which might be something really rather different. If nothing else, for those who are, you know, working through the current term for it is deconstructing, but yeah, as somebody who's in biblical studies, like, we've had, you know, we've been studying the Bible up close and having it shake our faith for generations, you know, and so it's like, you know, uh, planning on writing a book about this saying, yeah, we've been through this ahead of everybody else. We should probably share some of what we've learned along the way. But where does that leave us? Okay, so not going to quote part, Calvin, <laughs> Captain Kirk here. Okay, he, he thought theology was important. Uhura, right, thanks to her biblical literacy, they understood what was happening on that planet, whereas otherwise, they'd still be thinking they were sun worshipers, meaning the sun in the sky. And so... <clears throat> I love that these shows actually get into this. I think that's the level at which we should really pay attention to the details and think about what these shows do. So I've been talking a lot about Star Trek, so let's turn att attention to Doctor Who for a bit. Doctor Who, 
initially was children's show, was thought of as one that would teach history, but also have some you know, intergalactic travel and you know, interplanetary travel at the very least and things like that. The second episode that they almost made had some interesting spiritual themes to it. It was eventually novel. Uh, there was eventually a novelization of that story uh, called The Max Masters of Luxor. Instead, they went with the Daleks. And as far as you know, the success of the franchise is concerned, good choice, right? I mean, as somebody who's interested in religion, it's like, I love that other story. I'm really interested. But yeah, the Daleks you know, are the reason that Doctor Who, to use a modern term for, before it was ever applied, went viral in the way that it did. Time travel gives you a chance to go back in history and look at key moments, right? And so you had them visiting uh, you know, the time of Nero, and there was this character who was a Christian, and they wanted to make it subtle. And so even though it was anachronistic, they had him wearing a cross. But that was better than him, you know, just breaking into a sermon or something like that, you know, in the episode. Had him going back to, you know, the, to Marco Polo and talking about Buddhism, things like that. And in the process, eventually, before, before we had the episode Who Mourns Verdonis, the doctor and his companions had actually gone back to era of ancient Greece, been mistaken for gods, and the doctor insisted, I'm not a god, and been asked, to, it's like, okay, so we need to get inside the city. It's like, you know, just do, and the companions are like, you know, just tell them to build the, you know, the horse, and they'll take it in, and he's like, the doctor's like, that's just a myth. They'll never go for that, and then eventually gives them that idea. They're like, that's great. We're going to do that, and it's, you know, and you get to explore both, you know, the whole strange thing of causation and stuff like that with the time loops and things like that. But you also get a chance to think about religion, right? And there have been episodes in which the doctor, they, they haven't televised episodes. I mean, can you imagine how controversial it would be, you know, even in a, a secularizing but still, you know, state church context such as the UK, right? If it's like the doctor goes back to either the birth of Jesus, you know, or witness the crucifixion, stuff like that. Whatever they did with it, it was going to be, you know, people were going to be like, yeah. but you may not have noticed there have been a couple of throwaway comments. Um, I think both, yeah, both of them are from the, um, yeah, uh, the era of David Tennant playing the doctor. And in one of them, you know, he visits this spaceship, right? It's going to be visiting Earth. And so they've studied Earth history. They know so much about it. And so they decided to name it after a famous Earth ship. So this spaceship is called the Titanic. <laughs> And there's somebody there who has a degree in um, earthonomics or earthology or something like that who uh, explains about Christmas and how, you know, they worship, you know, the people of Earth worship the great god Santa and his wife Mary. <laughs> and that at Christmas, they go to war with the people of Turkey and then they eat the turkey. And it all gets very confusing. But there's a lot of confusion in the episode. People want to know, it's like, so... What is this Christmas thing all about? And there's this one throwaway comment where the doctor says, it's a long story. I should know I was there. I got the last room. <laughs> and as a New Testament scholar, I'm like, yeah, but that, you know, it's only in this one gospel and it's probably not, and you know, it probably wasn't an inn. You know, the word doesn't have to be in, you know, it's like taking the traditional story in a very literalistic sort of way. Yeah. And it's interesting that Doctor Who has had these special episodes that correspond with dates in the church year, right? And so in one of the Easter episodes, the doctor is there at Easter. And I love this throwaway comment. It's like, you know, he's like, I don't usually do Easter. You know, it keeps moving around. I never know when to find it. <laughs> I'm like, yes, you're good. I love that. And he's like, although between you and me, 
I was there for the original. And what really happened was, and then he has a sensor that starts beeping. He's like, oops, sorry. And, you know, we don't find out what. But there, there was this opportunity that is then cut short because anything they did after that would have been, woo, controversial. What really happened was, so time travel also gives you the chance to do revisionist kind of history as well as very, very literalist. And I actually wrote a story. Um, so I have some books out there. I've actually written stuff about Doctor Who and theology, but have a short story called Certainty you know, about somebody's like, okay, you know, we seem to have this time machine thing working. I know where I'm going to go, right? There's this tomb, right, outside of you know, vicinity of Jerusalem, first century. Let's go see if anything interesting happens there, right? And even just as a thought experiment, I think it's worth exploring this. What happens if you see what this or that gospel or a Mel Gibson film or whatever uh, depicts <laughs> literally happen, right? What if you don't? If Jesus's body as... A certain New Testament scholar who I gather has made it here uh, once suggested was thrown to the dogs as the Romans would normally do. Would that prevent God from vindicating Jesus beyond death? And so I found that such a helpful thought experiment thinking about you know, what really matters. You know, what does resurrection even mean? What is, how does it relate to history? How does it relate to the evidence? You know? Didn't expect Dr. Who to help with that. Right? And I was actually having a conversation on my blog with an atheist who was like, yeah, I'll give you a time and space machine, go anywhere, you know, what would it take to make you lose your faith? And he wasn't planning on helping me, you know, sort out my faith. You know, I was thinking, this will undermine it, this will challenge you. And I was like, yeah, there's all kinds of stuff that would make me change my beliefs, but my faith is actually something much deeper than that. Yeah, I'm not sure he was really happy that he'd help me get to this more <laughs> profound faith, but I was happy. And I keep using this analogy and keep um, using this illustration, this sort of thought experiment with students and with others. So how are we doing for time? I think I should keep moving, right? Uh, although everybody else seems to have taken much, much longer. You know. So anyway, the doctor in that episode, hmm? keep it going, yeah. So the, if we go beyond the canon, the official canon, into the audiobooks, anyone here listen to Doctor Who audiobooks? You might be the only person who does, and if you don't, you're gonna really like this. There's an episode, Doctor Who, The Council of Nicaea. Oh. As written by Carolyn Simcox, so Episcopal priest. She's married to somebody who's written some of the like televised episodes and some, yeah. So there is, yeah. So if you're gonna like, if you're gonna do one Doctor Who audiobook and try this out, it's like, come on. I mean, <laughs> Doctor Who, Council of Nicaea. As set in the Peter Davison era, it's fun. But you know, it gives you a chance to think about history in this interesting way and think about proof and faith and doubt and evidence and all this kind of stuff. The doctor going back in time, right, emphasized not a god. We'll come back to that because then some episodes are like, yeah, okay, so let's treat him as like a little bit of a god, right? You know, you got the, in that same episode with the starship, the great starship Titanic, right? You've got these robots that look like angels and they're carrying him up. It's like, yeah, he defeats Satan. I mean, come on, you know, so it's like, you know, what more do you want, you know? In the episode Bread and Circuses from the original series of Star Trek, there's that moment when they beam down and Dr. McCoy, who knows the line, right? Once, just once, I'd like to beam down to a planet and say, behold, I am the Archangel Gabriel. And that's enough of an illusion for the people who are biblically literate to get at it. And the whole idea that miracle is just people mistaking science for some, you know, something else, right? Primitive cultures make this mistake when they encounter advanced technology. And you get that in 
who mourns for Adonis. Apollo's no god, but he might have been mistaken for one once. And you get that in Doctor Who, right? There are not a lot of things I can say. I literally wrote the book on that. But there's one episode of Doctor Who that I can say. I literally wrote the book on it. There's a great series called The Black Archive, a British publisher doing it. They're trying to do one critical study of each episode going all the way back. It's like so much fun. It was so much fun. And I picked what I guarantee everybody's favorite episode, The Battle of Ranskorov Kolos. Yeah, that's what I thought. Nobody's, nobody's favorite episode. But it has this situation where these two beings that have this ability to use their minds to create and do stuff mistake the big bad from the season as the creator that they revere. And the doctor's constantly throughout the episode talking about this false god. Kirk's saying, Apollo's no god, but he may have been mistaken for one once, right, by those primitive shepherds of ancient, ancient Greece, right? If you can throw lightning bolts, you can pluck a starship out of the sky, if you can, like, get very, very big, uh, that's one trick that I would really love, you know, it's even just a little bigger, I'd be, you know, like, yeah, uh, still haven't, you know, don't even have that level of divinity to be able to, you know, just increase my stature. Why not describe this being as a god, right? The assumption is a certain definition of God, a certain denial of the reality or the godhood, more to the point, of these beings. But there isn't really anything about Apollo as he's depicted in this episode that would exclude him from godhood if you're using the definitions of gods of the ancient Greeks. He's a powerful being who can do all this stuff. And you get the Doctor Who episode where the, the daemons, it's like, you know, look at all these beings with horns throughout history. You know, it's because you've been visited so many times by these aliens, right? And the master, of course, uh, does this thing that looks just like a satanic ritual, but it's really, there's the psionic and there's the technical. It's like, if, it, if the ritual works and brings this being, it's like, how is that different? by saying, oh, but it's science. It's like, okay, but you're saying it's literally true within the universe, the fictional universe here, right? Whereas the people who study religion are like, yeah, that never happened. And so it's fascinating to put on the, yeah, put on the, yeah, I was gonna say the hat, but it's actually the scarf, right, <laughs> of fandom. And to think about it through this other lens that looks at these stories in such a different way. And we were just talking right beforehand about, you know, how, as Star Trek got a little bit more postmodern, you know, getting closer to our time, you get discussions of stories as meaningful in ways other than the question of whether they're factually true about certain events in history. Let's fast forward just a little bit, get to the Matt Smith era. Yeah, who is waiting for me to get to the Matt Smith era? It's like, yeah, there's a few people. It's like, <clears throat> I mean, on the way there, right, the doctor. So defeat Satan, you have, you know, referred to as the lonely god, uh, Martha going around proclaiming the good news of salvation by the, the doctor as savior, right, all over the earth. And, the, you know, they kind of laid it on a little thick there, right, you know. But in the Matt Smith era, then they do this episode called The God Complex, right, where, and the character who basically bursts the doctor's bubble of this kind of God complex idea that, you know, you've got to come in and save everyone, the character is actually a Muslim, right? And, I mean, if I was going to pick a tradition to be, like, radically, you know, kind of combating the idols. It's like, yeah, that's a good one to go with, right? And so I think it's a fascinating choice. And so there too, even think about the doctor, right? Saying, oh yeah, look, Christ figure, oh, you know, ascending with angels, stuff like that. Yeah, but look at what it does with his illusions of divinity and the 
overemphasis on faith in the doctor as savior. And even asks an episode, asks in that very episode, right, as they're thinking about prayer and faith and other things in that episode, like, who or what do time lords pray to? And thinking about alien religion and how it might be different is also another thing that sci-fi does, can do, I think, really, really well. Both Star Trek and Doctor Who you know, are at times critical of organized religion. Often it's under the facade of alien religion that has enough similarity to human religions that you may have some, some connection with, past or present, that you get that there's some critique going on, but it's also done in that way that sci-fi alone lets you, it's like, no, no, this is another planet. It's a totally different, you know. Yeah. That's something to do with the Church of the Papal Mainframe, right? For those of you who know those episodes, right? The way that fans find meaning in science fiction, I think is also worth thinking about as we get towards the end of my bit and we get the podcasters up here and do some interaction and hopefully have some time for some Q&A from everyone as well, right? You're talking about the gateway to geekery, right? Yeah. How do you introduce somebody to the thing that you love? And nowadays, everybody's like, yeah, just watch Blink, right? You know, that's like the go-to episode, right, for a lot of people. But uh, TARDIS, what, you know, what is it? Time Lord? What, you know, Sonic Screwdriver? You know, this Dalek, it doesn't mean anything to me, right? And some of the language you've been using here, even if it was by way of critique, penal substitution, you know, who here has ever had a conversation with someone about penal substitution where they were like, what the heck are you talking about? What does that mean? And even some of the more basic biblical vocabulary and things like that, right? When you find meaning from stories, they're not everybody's stories. And so how do you build a bridge and invite people into your fandom, right? Whether it's your fandom of faith or your fandom of Star Trek or Doctor Who or both. You can find memes online, right? Everything I need to know in life, I learned from Doctor Who or learned from Star Trek. But getting beyond that, because again, that's often just, you know, a few quotes and a few anecdotes and you know, people do find meaning from their fictional stories. I remember, anyone here seen the documentary Trekkies? Yeah, right? There's this person they interview who went to serve on jury duty wearing her Starfleet uniform, right? Like real, true story, right? Because that's like where her values come from. And you, know, you might think, wow, that's really cool. If you're a certain level of fandom, you might be think, wow, that's really sad if you have a different perspective. But if at a place where we're talking about geekery, and faith, and theology, and these things, just ask, why do those stories connect with people, and our stories that we've been telling don't? And can there be a version of the story that would connect? If we get Captain Kirk commenting on the theology, does that help? You know, what could help build those bridges, right? And it's interesting that while we're thinking about, and we're thinking in some past sessions about, how do we build a bridge to invite people into our fandom of Doctor Who or Star Trek? And we're also saying, how do we build a bridge to invite people into our fandom in relation to Jesus and God and the ultimate, however you want to phrase it, sometimes the one might be a really good bridge to invite somebody into the other. And I think that's worth exploring and reflecting on. Not for everyone, right? I have students, this semester, I have a whole class full of people who wish I would stop with the Star Trek references. <laughs> Can't stop, won't stop. Every so often, it's like, I try, I try, and then I come here, and it's cathartic, and I can just make them, and I get dressed up, and I get a little out of my system, and then I'll go back and try and keep it under control just a little bit. Patrick Stewart, in a recent interview, uh, there's an article. If, if you can't find it by Googling it, um, I would have had the head, at least the headline up here, but 
refer, he characterized what they did being on as a ministry, which I think is really interesting. And if you think about like Trekkies, you know, talking about, you know, people who are you know, like depressed, but finding meaning in, and would come to the, the conventions and, you know, um, Patrick McNoon saying, you know, Patrick McNoon saying he would go and say, okay, but I expect to see you here next time and help somebody, helping somebody through depression, things like that. Again, thinking about the way these stories can, and what can we learn from that? What can we use from that? How can we build bridges in interesting, similar ways? I'll end with, although it's, it's never really over, because both of the, all these franchises are still ongoing, and our faith is ongoing. But to get it really up to date, somebody asked me uh, in the run-up to this a, a question about Lower Decks, and I hadn't been watching Lower Decks yet, but I had been watching Strange New Worlds, and they built a bridge into fandom for Lower Decks, right? And so I was like, okay, I'm gonna watch it. And just relatively recently, there was an episode. Who here, does anybody, do I need to, like, spoiler warning for, like, Lower Decks, I think it's season three? I'm still not completely caught up, but I was pretty close. It's okay? Yeah. Run for the door quickly if you're, you know, like, it's like, you know, probably this time of day you need some exercise anyway, so do I, you know, but. There's this episode where you have this sci-fi scenario, right? What confronts you with your own mortality? The death of a clone made by the transporter, who is your exact double, who shared most of your history up until that point, right? I mean, there are lots of things I could imagine would confront me with my mortality. I'm pretty sure that would do it more effectively and more seriously, right? And this character is trying to work through this and is you know, doing this holodeck thing that's trying to, and eventually gets to, it's like the, the God moment from, Star Trek V, except in the, the holodeck. And what can an AI that's producing a story on the fly to help this character provide? And so starts churning out like really lame sounding motivational quotes <laughs> as divine wisdom, right? And as somebody who's also thinking about how people are turning to like chat GPT and things and hoping it'll you know, shed some light, it's like, it's regurgitating human text as taking it and compiling it. And when it does it well, it's a reflection of all that stuff that we had already done. And sometimes it comes up with really weird stuff. And I won't go into that now, but I have some great examples of some of the weird stuff that ChatGPT has come up with. Some people think AI will be smarter than us. And so that's a really present concern. And there too, I think that shows like Star Trek and Doctor Who give us things that we can at least use as conversation starters, right? There's a long history of, doc, of, of Star Trek both asking, could Commander Data be a person? Right? But also, don't put an AI in charge of your society. Yeah. It will do something maybe very, very logical that will not be good for you. Right? And it will do it strictly and rigidly. Right? And so, I don't know how many of you have some fears about a possible AI apocalypse. I have just one, really. And I think Star Trek can help us talk about those things too. It's not that the AI that we currently have, which is basically, you know, it's... It's been compared to uh, autocomplete on steroids, right? It just, it takes text and guesses what should come next, except it, it does a really phenomenal job of imitating human speech, but it's not a source of information. It's certainly not a source of wisdom. My fear is that people will think that this technology can give us answers or can be put in charge of stuff when it's not ready. That's when we start heading for a, some dystopian scenarios that Star Trek really explored really well. And if people, are not worried about that and not thinking about where that, then we need to introduce, yeah, we need to introduce them to the gospel and about Christian values and love and care for other humans, but we need to introduce them to Star Trek 
because it's been there. It's done that long ago. And so what I find fascinating, and I'll end with this, is that we can talk about finding answers, not as though they're, you know, it's like, this is gospel truth, you know, what happened with, you know, the M5 device or with V'ger or with whatever, you know, it's, but because the story gives us a chance to think and explore. And our faith stories, when we approach them as that, as human expressions of, you know, humanity's interaction with the divine, search for the divine, pondering about things, then some of the problems that were a focus earlier this morning actually go away. Why are these contradictions there? Because people don't agree on stuff. And I've had students who will say to me, you know, well, I have the, you know, I have the Holy Spirit, so I know, you know, that what I believe is true. It's like, read Galatians, right? Paul and Peter, like, as close to the source as you can get, and they're arguing. They didn't have it all sorted out. You couldn't just get an inerrant answer there, but you think you can have it now. From this writing that actually tells you that then they were arguing. Yeah. Sometimes the issue is not what these texts are, but what people have falsely claimed that they are, making them into an idol. And so doctor is idol, AI is idol, Bible is idol. So many connections we could make, but I think I will end there and say, I hope you enjoyed this talk. I thought this was a self-selecting evident, um, a self-selecting audience that would get my geeky references and I wouldn't need to explain too much. If you're somebody who just like put up with this, you know, thank you for doing that. <laughs> and you know, most of the people here I knew were gonna be fans and as we know from our famous stories, you know, had to focus on the majority because the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few. <laughs> Thank you. It's a little warm. Okay, I'm Sari Martin, Concepcion. You may have heard that already. I, my podcast is called Secret Art Project. And uh, I often, not often at all, I sometimes join the Systematic Geekology. Um, done some horror-themed episodes, some Star Trek-themed episodes on there. So that's me. Yeah. Uh, I am Ryan Doz. I am the host of Across the Bifrost, largely a uh, uh, Marvel's Mighty Thor kind of podcast. You might wonder, <laughs> why are you there? Uh, but uh, yeah, also been on Systematic Ecology, also been on a, uh, a few other things. So I'm, I'm excited to dig into something I don't, I don't personally know a lot about, okay. so. Apollo is alien, Thor is alien, we can, <laughs> yeah. we can make it work. Yeah. You've got some more, you have more Doctor Who knowledge than I do, and I have more Star Trek knowledge I, than I probably ought to. Doctor, <laughs> Doctor Who knowledge is incredibly generous. Okay. Um, because, but I do actually, I do actually have a Doctor Who question, but Ooh. well, if we can yeah. do that in a hot minute. I almost want to see what people want to talk about, because I could think there's a lot of direction. Are you guys up for that? Does anybody yeah. want to like, yeah, let's, yeah, you just volunteered. Uh, I, I just, I'll offer out something. Yeah. Favorite Star Trek movie is Galaxy. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. By Grapthar's hammer, yeah. I will be avenged. Okay, we're in the back. I don't know. I mean, the, the idea is there in more than one place. You know, it could be, you know, could be from Elliot. It could be, you know, the, the Psalm. You know, it's like, 
I have said you are all gods, yet you shall die like mortals. It's like, you know, mm. do justice and things. So, mm -hmm. You know, big god, you know, overseeing the council of the gods sort of scenario, things like that. Oh, yeah. 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 I mean, it had me thinking a lot like, oh, they, they you talk a lot about like, like, oh, these primitive cultures, but now we know, we have yeah. science. This would never yeah. happen now that someone very advanced would show when we start worshiping them. And I was trying to wonder if that's true. Like, but then I'm like, look at us. We're a bunch of like fans. Like we basically worship. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like the way, like if the only person that would like, that I would just go gaga over, they walked in right now. It's like Jonathan Frakes right now. And I, I wouldn't bow oh, down yeah. and worship him, but you know, <laughs> but I don't know. I just wondered about that. Um, I think the inclination to yeah. adore mm -hmm. uh, and to admire is there. And um, I don't know, I just, yeah. it made me ask questions about, about that. Um, I, and I, I think that like the way the later episodes started to incorporate religion yeah. is because they kind of noticed that, and science has proved that there's this natural inclination to be spiritual. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and even in fact, religious is, pretty yeah. natural according to cognitive science. So I don't know. That's not yeah. a question, but it's maybe a prompt in that yeah. direction. Well, I, I, <laughs> I don't want to lose the chance to say that you know, Galaxy Quest, like if, if you can't poke some fun at whatever your, you know, the, your core thing is, then you're, you're either taking it way too seriously or you're shielding it from criticism. And, you know, parody can do just such wonderful things at times. Right? Yeah. Right? They, yeah. They, they treated it with so much love. love. Yeah. And there's, you know, when you, when you, when you critique, right? I mean, that's, uh, Americans, uh, tell me if I'm wrong, but American culture is not so big on, you know, critiquing us so we can be better. It's more, you know, we're great. We don't need to be better. It's yeah. like, if you don't like it, go where, back where you came from, you know, whether that's another country, another planet, whatever, you know. So, yeah. but thinking about worship, right? Think about gods, you know, in the plural and what constitutes, I mean, worship for ancient people you know, I mean, one of the words that's regularly translated worship is means basically prostration, like bowing yourself down. We don't do so much of that, most things, right? Might get down on your knees a little bit, but it's not, you know, no, none of the full-fledged prostration. And then the other thing is animal sacrifice, and we don't do that either. So you could argue that by ancient standards, we don't worship, mm -hmm. right? Not just Jonathan Frakes, but, you know, nobody else would, you know, fit, you know. Let's including, leave it on the table, though. Right? What? <laughs> Let's leave John, worshiping Jonathan Frakes right. on the table. Cool. <laughs> and, you know, Protestants and Catholics have, you know, had long debates about, it. it's like, well, you know, we, we, we honor, we revere, but we don't worship and, you know, these figures and things like that. And how important are those terms? And do they mean the same things as, you know, I mean, that's, that's, that's getting right into that other field that I sometimes talk about and write things about, right? Uh, <laughs> you can be reading it in English translation, but did the meaning of those words convey something else to an ancient reader. Right? Worship. Oh, yeah, it's clear. It's like, you know, somebody comes, it's like, you know, where's the blood? Where's the gore? You know, how can you call this worship? It's like, you're sitting quietly in a cathedral listening to choirs. You know, we didn't do that. You know, so. Yeah. Hmm. Sorry, I'm throwing New Testament in when I'm supposed to be sticking no, no. to Star no, Trek and Dr. No, Who. I love it. I love it. Um, yeah, what was I going to, did you have a question you wanted to ask? Well, I, did you have a question, Tom? Well, I was just, Gonna say, yeah. say a little more on the true worship because this is an argument in the early yeah. councils, right? John Damascus makes the distinction 
between Latreia, true worship, mm-hmm. and Veneratse, the, mm-hmm. the respect and veneration due the icons. And it's almost like you're talking about Star Trek yeah. and the Doctor yeah. as icons, mm-hmm. right? That yeah. we can pay veneration yeah. without actually yeah. making them the idols yeah. of Latreia. Yeah. Yeah, and I think even more, so the, the, the reverence, the awe, you know, so you're not killing animals. You know, this is, we can still, I think we'd still, there's still a significant amount of what we would probably still call worship, motivated by the same response to that which is greater. But the question of what makes a being, or being itself, obviously, you know, uh, worthy of worship, sci-fi actually gives us a chance to get at that, right? I mean, there's, there's a, a, a classic study of the... Um, the Twilight Zone episode, Little People, right? In which you have this figure who basically it's like, you know, oh, I can be a god to these people. You know, it's like, and, you know, think a line from Jaws comes in. It's like, there's always a bigger god, right? Uh, and God with capital G is like, when you get to the end of the whole thing, but then you're not really talking about this anthropomorphic thing that's going to be, you know, playing with the little people in quite the same way. But, yeah, we've all heard of ancient aliens. It's so popular as, you know, a premise for sci-fi. I will say it just in case it's not obvious from the slight tone of scorn that was there when I mentioned it first. It is not good history, right? (laughs) But if aliens parted a sea and saved people from slavery and brought them into a promised land, why wouldn't it be worthy of reverence or worship or gratitude, eternal gratitude or something, you know? And that's why I like those episodes where it's like, you know, not a god. It's like, by what definition? Right? And it's so interesting that you know, some people think it was mostly because of the censors being concerned about uh, you know, what was being said. You know, this secular humanist as a show and it's commenting on religion. You know, we've got to be careful here. But you know, there's this moment when Kirk says, you know, humanity has no need of gods. We find the one quite adequate. And a lot of people think that was just like a bit of, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We don't often, you know, I think one of the biggest shifts is that more and more people are actually thinking about the possibility that the ultimate reality is not this anthropomorphic thing that is either like Apollo or Zeus or whoever, or, right, which was the next step, I think, in Israel's, like, trajectory, all of those rolled into one, right, which created all kinds of problems, right? Retail, you've got something like the Gilgamesh flood epic or something like that, but now you've only got, you want to retell with one deity. And so same deity created and is sending the flood and is, it's like, how are we going to put all this in, you know? And sometimes the portrait we end up with is actually, you know, has tension in it. And when you know the backstory, right? Just like sometimes it's just fun to figure out a way to harmonize stuff in your fandom franchise. Yeah. And sometimes you just got to say, yeah, George Lucas didn't know that Darth that. didn't 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 know that didn't know that Darth Vader was going to be Luke Skywalker's father at that stage, and so some of those lines just don't, you know it's like you know we can let it go, right? You know, and both of those are options. But I think that with sci-fi, as with the Bible, as with religion, knowing the backstory and the process that led to the script taking the form that it does, yeah. sometimes actually can help us help us live with the result. And appreciate the creativity of, it's like, I can't believe they found a way to harmonize that despite <laughs> of the apparent incongruity, yeah, very which, you know, historically speaking, was caused by the fact that this was written by a script writer and this was written by a different script writer. 
who had clearly forgotten about this episode. And, <laughs> but sometimes the creativity involved in making it work is good. Yeah. But when you feel a compulsion to harmonize everything, that's when either your fandom, whether spiritual or <laughs> sci-fi, can, can yeah. go into pro- problematic directions. I want to thank you for pointing out, I think, that the, the urge, the Christian urge to sometimes just find Christ figures, and that's how we, that's, you know, because it's really not listening to, I, it's, I much prefer to really listen to what mm. the, the text is yeah. trying yeah. to say yeah. rather than to impose yeah. another text viewpoint mm-hmm. on it. And, uh, you know, I'm almost embarrassed to say this, but like growing up, you mentioned, you know, the person whose values are really shaped mm-hmm. by Star yeah. Trek. And yeah. I'm almost embarrassed of how much I feel like I can relate to that because, you know, no one's parents are perfect. And <laughs> oftentimes the churches we grow up in are not perfect. And I feel like some, like my experience watching Star Trek, Mr. Rogers first, and then mm-hmm. shortly thereafter, Star Trek <laughs> is sort of bridging some of those gaps, you know? Like I'm seeing how these people have these like deep bonds of friendship, which I think the sacred thing at the center of, of Star Trek is friendship, especially in the original series and then in Next Gen. Um, and seeing that love across cultural differences yeah. so vast, um, and also the way they always believe each other. It's like, yeah. Worf, my brother, so you say you're hopping through parallel universes. Let's check that out for you. Like, <laughs> the way they're like, yes, anding each other off. Like, I just found that incredibly moving. And um, I don't know, like, I, as I say that, I'm almost embarrassed that the, that the text the text of the series had that, that impact on me. But it's true. And it mediated, like, I feel like a lot of care for me as a young person. You know what I mean? Um, so I don't know. I, I just say all that to to just highlight like what I think fandom does have spiritual significance. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and and I was very much, you know, a Christian child, you know, and it came alongside that sort of reinforced some values that I think that my church was not so good at reinforcing. You know what I mean? Yeah. But I don't know. I wonder if maybe you could compare and contrast that a little bit more with what you do. I know you use the franchises as tools for uh, illuminating biblical texts and so we talk a little bit more about that relationship yeah i and i my new testament stuff and my you know i i don't do all that much at the intersection specifically of sci-fi and the bible Mm -hmm. just because let's face it that could be really weird right (laughs) you know it could be really awesome too you know and i but and confusing for certain people confusing (laughs) for certain people and it's at the moments when i think it would be really awesome that I most worry that for most people it would be really weird. And yeah, so yeah. it's like, yeah, you know, yeah. I yeah, I think my if I have a, a gift, it's that you know, I'm pretty good at coming up with like new ideas and turning the way you think about things on its head. And I'm also aware that I need somebody who's very practical to shoot down about 99% of those ideas, you know, and so and then hopefully there'll be one that's useful. But it it doesn't take more than reading the gospels to realize, yeah, telling fictional stories not because they are about actual events, but because the story itself conveys values, challenges us, right? I mean, sci-fi is doing that and doing it very well, right? A lot of times it's doing what Jesus' parables were doing. Yeah. It's like the race, this whole thing about, you know, the racism, you know, flew under your radar because it's aliens. It's not, you know, it's like, you know, look exactly the same. Well, no, we see a difference, right? And I love that I could just do that, and everybody's like, yeah. "Which episode? Are they, right? Which episode?" I'm thinking of. Yeah. 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 Um, I've got a thought. I wonder if you see a connection 
in some fashion between what seems to be a departure of the more modern Star Trek shows, the spin-offs and so forth, from Roddenberry's vision of a prosperous, shalom-like future, mm -hmm. as opposed to the more recent ones that are filled with conflict and, and impending destruction and so forth, on the one hand, and what appears to be taking place within the, the church as people deconstruct as the comforting old stories don't comfort yeah. so much any longer, and what seems to be a disintegration of its role as a conveyor of positive cultural values. It, it seems like both of those have taken place over about the same period of time within the last 30 to 50 years, maybe, or 30 to 20 to 30 years. Yeah. And I just wonder if you see a connection there that may be mediated by something in the larger society or, or some yeah. other reason. Yeah, just to add on that, I, I used to think like a lot with the, the Next Generation original series, religion being very much not a part of the picture most of the mm -hmm. time, most yeah. of the time. But this is utopian society right. that yeah. that Roddenberry saw religion as a divisive yeah. feature of mm -hmm. culture. Yeah. Um, but it is true. Yeah. There's a lot of more dark, like Picard is very dark. Yeah. 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 Seriously. Yeah. And I mean, I think, you know, I mean, those moments like when Uhura is... Clearly, biblically literate. You know, you know that mm -hmm. it's it's less that religion has vanished than that it's it's personal and private. Yeah, that's mm -hmm. which is really what the meaning of secular is. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I do think that probably. You know, I'm sure Starfleet had some vetting process, <laughs> and if you were like a like a, a, a not just an evangelical but a fundamentalist, where it's like any planet you 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 beam down on, you immediately start evangelizing. They're gonna like not. You're, they're not, you're not going to serve on these starships, you know. It's just like, you know. And so I think you can you can find in any world, right? That yeah. Movie right. at lunchtime, yeah. really a violation. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but I think yeah. I mean, and yeah, I didn't mention this. Yeah. There, there are lots of things I didn't mention, right? As I said, you know, it's like I couldn't even mention the names of all these episodes, and um, you know, be done. But the prime directive is one that I found myself thinking about in relation to theodicy, recently, right? Mm -hmm. Because the whole idea there is okay. You, know, you tamper as somebody who has, you know, you have superior technology, you could just go and save things, but doing that might actually be worse for these societies, right? And as fans of Star Trek, we've sometimes been like, oh, but, you know, maybe they should have done something, you know. But a lot of times we're like, yeah, no, that's, it's a wise principle, right? And yet, when we think about it and say, okay, why doesn't God intervene? And it's like, prime directive, maybe? <laughs> I don't know, you know, um, self-imposed, you know. I'm not sure that works, but <laughs> I think the thinking about it in those ways yeah. actually makes us think, you know, why do we find it so acceptable for these, you know, and yeah. I think there's an interesting comparison to make there. I'm sorry, do any Whovians want yeah. to, like, yeah, say sorry. something? Yeah, sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> I can take off the shirt and put the scarf back on and we can um, <laughs> you know, have, switch gears. less of a question and more of, I'd like you to think more in terms of a thought exercise for yourself. Ah, Traveling yeah. back yeah. in time yeah. and yeah. And what would what oh, yeah. really matters? What would make you yeah. lose your faith? Yeah. And I guess just to like put it out there, my yeah. my stance on this thought of it is like I don't even know a place to start thinking about what would make me lose my faith because right. my faith is so on shaky ground at the moment. <laughs> right. So it's like yeah. maybe I already yeah. have, and I yeah. you know, and so mm -hmm. um, I kind of want to yeah. hear it from all of you. <laughs> Who starts? Because <laughs> the podcasters lead this section, so it's up to you. I, I can. Yeah, you yeah. have to do it because yeah. that's your wife. <laughs>
Babe, can you rephrase the question like yeah. for, for me and not for James? Yeah. <laughs> so say the TARDIS shows up at the house and uh, David Smith penetrates the office. We don't have room in our driveway, but sure. Yes. I think my answer is contingent on when am I arriving there? Well, because am I, am I unaware of the state of Jesus? Okay. Let me, then let me rephrase. You're there for the crucifixion up until Easter Sunday. You're there for all that. You're sitting outside. I think I've always resonated with Peter's reaction when, uh, it, when he is approached with the reality of like, oh, oh, he's, he's not here anymore. I can't, I can't imagine if my entire belief system had been, had fallen apart a few days prior. I am in the throes of the trauma and the mourning and the, literally the ground falling out from underneath me. And then someone says, essentially, psych, like, I, I, I don't, I would feel betrayed, but I would also feel curious. I would feel a, uh, a loss of hope, but also a, a glimmer of hope re-entering the situation. I would feel as if I was in the middle of a spiritual hurricane and not knowing, am I going to see ground again? Which is really what I have felt the last few years. Am I ever going to reach the ground again? And where will I land? Because I am in the midst of the hurricane and the hurricane decides where I land. I don't really decide where I land. So I guess then follow up. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. I have the only thing that even comes to mind, and then I will gladly hand off this uh, softball question. (laughs) The thing that would matter to me, the thing that has mattered to me for the last few years is whom and what am I willing to trust with the understanding that I may not fully understand it? Trust has been a misuse, and it's been hard to find, and I'm sure... We all have a similar example of a story or whether it's deeply personal or it's someone else we know. Whom and what am I willing to trust and what level of trust am I willing to put in said thought or person? For me, it's largely been people. People that I trust. Ideas have come and gone, but the people that have stayed amidst the personal hurricane, I trust them. And that may not be the deeply theological and philosophical answer, but it's the only one that made sense when the storm was raging around me. I think like the question to me you're asking is like, what kind of definition of resurrection would break, make or break my faith? And that's a question I've had for years now. Mm-hmm. I, I, but I actually think rather than saying that I would sit there and wait and see did like, did he physically, you know, physically get up out of the tomb or whatever? I think I would find the women, and whatever really happened with them, I would be down with. 
So if the Marys are hanging out and they had an experience yeah. of Christ after he died, he physically appeared to them, he spiritually appeared to them, whatever happened. As long as it wasn't like a bunch of guys were like doing something cons- conspiratorial, mm-hmm. <laughs> I would still be in. <laughs> yeah. And to track down the guys, you got to go somewhere else because they fled. You know, it's like, you know, it's just important part of the story. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I feel bad that I like said, you know, let's you all answer woman. because you wrote a women book too. Your yeah. book, what, what Jesus, Jesus learned from, from women, women is out there too. Out there but there's, there's, I would read that book first, actually, <laughs> I, and then okay. I would, and then I would come up with a better answer. Okay, <laughs> go ahead. I certainly encourage that. Uh, that book that that was one of the books that writing it actually, you know, I think affected me. You know, mm-hmm. it doesn't always happen when you're writing, but mm-hmm. um, but yeah, in my little book, theology and science fiction, I ended it with a few like short stories of my own, sort of just to illustrate that cool. in addition to studying other people's stuff, actually just diving in and writing stuff, actually there's a, it's, it can be a spiritual exercise or a theological exploration. Oh, yes. And so one of them involves time travel to go visit the tomb. Uh, if, if you can't afford or get hold of a copy, send me an email and I'm, I'm online. Just if you Google religion prof as like one word, you'll find me <laughs> and I'll send you a copy because, you know, mm-hmm. it's I Want it to be spiritually useful, um, but not the first to explore this scenario. And we'll have could happily just talk about some of the other like. There's a movie called Assassin Thirty Three AD. I've heard about that. I've watched it three uh, times be- for reasons I won't explain. Right. But it's about these yeah. assassins that time yeah. travel to try to kill Jesus before the resurrection to keep the resurrection from happening. Anyway. <laughs> Yeah. So, so yeah. So the short, yeah. So yeah. No, but having having had the chance to think about this a lot, so what what this helped this thought experiment helped me do is you know on the one hand realize, I mean the Romans could have burned Jesus' body. Would that prevent resurrection? No. So ultimately, this thing may be unfalsifiable. Right. It's like there's yeah. nothing there that could say okay. There's no way that Jesus could have been vindicated beyond death. And so I was like, okay. So if history can't sort that out, then One of the things I've really been worried about is somebody who studies history, but can't get answers to some of the most interesting questions theologically. Uh, Maybe I can be okay with that, which was helpful. It also helped me realize that, you know, if I go back, you know, because I thought, I I wonder whether this was where Brian was going with this. If I go back a few years earlier and like Jesus is kicking puppies and not a very nice person, that's going to, you know, that's going to shake my Christian faith in a way that, you know, things about what happens in the tomb might not. But thinking about that helped me realize that often we say, you know, well, you know, if the resurrection didn't happen, I'd be an atheist. And it's like, why not Jewish, right? Why not a, a, a vaguely defined process theologian or something, you know, whatever, right? You know, why not Buddhist? Why not, you know, deist? Why not something else? You know, why, you know, there, there, are, there are multiple <laughs> options, right? And so, so there are, you know, there are things that I might see that could, would cause me to change my beliefs. And some of those revisions to my beliefs might be such that my belief system should then no longer be described as Christian, mm-hmm. potentially. But what I realized is that my faith is something sort of bigger and deeper than that, right? It's about meaning. It's about, you know, and actually have, you know, because as a New Testament scholar, you wrestle with this deconstruction thing and get a head start before everybody else is doing it. Uh, I've actually spent a lot of time, and I actually have a book that I've just finished sort of working on, or at least I think I'm finished. I'm not sure. We'll see what the editor says. Um, they sometimes are like, yeah, no, you're not, you're not nearly as finished as you think you are. But 
one of the things I share in there, so a little preview, is that for me, the question of the existence of God, capital G, is actually not an issue anymore. I mean, it's basically settled. There's really no question. And the reason I say that is that if by God, what we mean is the ultimate, right? That which sort of exists by definition, has always existed, is responsible for anything else, then there is no question that some reality existed and that our individual realities and the reality that we have a slim glimpse of here is dependent on that reality. And some people will be like, okay, but is it a person? Is it triune? Is it this? Is that? It's like, okay, those are debates about the, defin- the, the, the attributes of God, not the existence. So let's get to discussing the attributes because there's, you know, there's a lot we don't know and I've, I'm happy to be really quite agnostic about a lot of those attributes. And there's a long Christian tradition of saying, yeah, um, yeah, better don't say anything because you know, any positive language is just going to you know, misrepresent God. Hmm. And, you know, but the existence question that so many people are wrestling with, I think is still about whether some anthropomorphic being exists within the universe almost and is doing stuff for us and tinkering in our history or things like that, rather than the ultimate. And so, yeah, this atheist helped me so much by asking this question and posing this thought experiment. Uh, I don't know, you know, he didn't come back and keep talking with me on my blog, so I don't know where, what his views ended up being. Um, but yeah, I'm still telling this story and, uh, and it helped my faith and continues to do so. So cool. Oh yeah, totally. Any other, uh, anything else someone wants to talk about? Any episode we didn't talk about that you want to talk about? Talk a little bit more about, you touched on this a little bit, but sort of the, the chart of faith and religion is supposed to be like sort of like a Kindle series, sort of like, mm-hmm. a, oh, this is new, this is new, but it's kind of anticipating to a next generation, which is very sort of specifically thinking about the episode where the Vulcans start yeah. to worship mm-hmm. and it's yeah. like, this, no, 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 we don't do that at all. Mm-hmm. To this sort of Deep Space Nine considering yeah. of like, right. Hey, yeah. maybe the prophets. general is not mm-hmm. terrible, or let's think about some of the aspects of this, to a, like, voyager of sort of like, oh, hey, Native American religion is, is real. Um, and then there's the discovery in the darkness and the, the what that was. Yeah. But, um, but <laughs> Don't get me the, started the, on Chakotay. <laughs> but, like, seeing some glimmers within uh, Strange New Worlds Yeah. The clone of Collis on mm-hmm. I remember yeah. the name Collis and yeah. next gen. That yeah. was an interesting like yeah. nod to be yeah. like Warp's like, well, maybe even if it's not true, the stories are still important, you mm-hmm. know? Yeah. 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 yeah, that that episode where, you know, with with the Picard, right? And they start worshiping, yeah, exactly. it's like yeah. uh, the characterization of that people, it's like they're it's bronze age. It's like do you have bronze on this planet? It's like, what's, you know, it's like, yeah, you know, but that's like the trope from the atheist. It's like, you know, the Bronze Age goats herders and their religion as the, you know, sort of atheist trope, you know, used as a weapon against Christians, that sort of thing. And then proto-Vulcan, are they Vulcan? Like, are they, you know, it's like panspermia thing, the, like bits of some Vulcan ended up there and what, what you know, what does that even mean? Does, probably what it means is, you know, they have pointy ears and they're on their way to being very rational, but, you know, yeah, 
And so that characterization I thought was, you know, interesting and potentially problematic, you know, in, in a lot of ways. But it's interesting. Yeah, the one thing I meant to mention and didn't in my talk was, you know, there's this wonderful moment in Discovery when Captain Pike. That's that's when that's when I went out and bought this. I was like, okay, this is my, you know, as like I was Cisco was my favorite, but then I was like, oh, the, the new Captain Pike is just doing something ask for me. Yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> he says, you know, he had a father who taught science and religion. You know, and I was like. Okay, I like this guy already. And then he talks about Clark's law, right? That any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic and says that the theologians of some, you know, sometime in the 22nd century, or I can't remember when it was, uh, explored this further and said, you know, would that mean that any sufficiently advanced being is indistinguishable from God? And I'm like, yeah, it's a good question, right? I'm, you know, I don't know what your assumed answer is, but I, yeah, very appropriate questions to be asking. And so I think there's, in both franchises, we have this diversity that has a lot more to do with the fact that we have different scriptwriters than anything else to do with like the era or which, which of the you know, various you know, doctors or various franchises, sub-franchises, however we want to talk about the series. But there's also a consistency of saying that, you know, I mean, on the one hand, saying that you know, it's superstition to believe in magic and yet having science do things that look like magic, right? And having evolution do things that any evolutionary biologist will tell you, evolution is not gonna do that, right? Our future is not to be the Q continuum, right? No matter how, like, biology does not grant those kinds of powers, right? It's just not, you know? And if some of that is through harnessing technology, you know, well then are they a bit like the Borg? They just got it all under control and didn't go in that particular direction, you know? And so I think, you know, even looking at those things, critically and thinking about them gets us to all the really interesting and important theological questions. And so that's another reason why I love, it's like, okay, so you're not in the Bible? Okay, well, here, here's another text that we could take a look at and get to some really interesting questions and have some interesting discussions. Thank you. That's the end of time. It is. And yeah. So thanks everyone for coming. Thank you, Dr. McGrath. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for coming, and I, I suppose I have to say as the, the final word, live long and prosper. Live long and prosper. <laughs>